I usually uh, give a title to a sermon before I've actually looked very much at the text. I've entitled this one, Unintended Consequences. It's mainly uh, for Redeemer Broadcasting and for the Secretary to have a title. But there is some correlation today between uh, the title and the sermon. Let me start this way. President's Weekend, isn't it, coming up Monday? Some people are off. Glad you are. Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, told the story in his old age that when Congress met to discuss the independence of these states, the meetings were held near a livery stable. This proximation to a certain substance had the unfortunate consequence that they were besieged by flies. Being summertime, the delegates wore short breeches and long stock, silk stockings. And while they talked, they brushed away flies from their legs, busy at it with their handkerchiefs. The flies were so vexatious, Jefferson said, that the delegates decided to sign the Declaration of Independence at once and get away from the place <laughs> as quickly as possible. Jefferson used to tell this story with much glee, and uh, his friend reported he was amused by the influence of the flies on so momentous an occasion. Well, who would have thought? We got a quick signing due to unforeseen events. Unintended consequences, wouldn't you say? As it says in Ecclesiastes in the King James Version of the Bible, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. But in this case, the flies brought forth a sweet-smelling savor. We have the Declaration of Independence. Again, let me remind you of some verses in the Bible along this line. I was thinking of a wonderful verse there in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 8. Uh, and um, it goes on to say, along with that quote about the flies, He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and whoever breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall strike him. We don't always know the consequences of our actions. It's not possible. We are finite creatures God has made. We are blessed wonderfully with a mind that can look over the past and, and uh, remember things. We do have selective memories, thank God. Uh, selective memories can be good. We, we should indeed forget some things of the past because it's not edifying to us in the present. We also have the capacity to look into the future and this marvelous thing that uh, philosophers are amazed at, this idea of consciousness. Here you are sitting in the pew and you're an individual little piece of consciousness. There you are. Here I am. We're thinking. Isn't that amazing? We can anticipate the future. But what we cannot do, what we cannot do is determine the outcome of things. Oh, we can have some influence. 
We can try to shape those things, and we should. We can build buildings. We can plan for the future. But we don't always see that they're carried out the way we are intended. Things don't always fall out in the way that we think they should. Because this thing called unintended consequences interrupts. Now, I've said all of that to get to Joseph's life. The life of Joseph in Genesis is a series, if you will, of unintended consequences. Except for chapter 38, if you begin to read at chapter 37 and read through to chapter 50, you have there an account of Jacob's life. Two observations I want to make about that account. Number one, it's, it's the most consistent uh, consistent uh, account of any of the patriarchs. What I mean by that is it's all there together. And you begin with his life at about 17 years of age and go right through until he is an old man and he dies at the end of chapter 50. The text goes through his life and what a sterling character he was. There is not one of the patriarchs that measures up to this man's character. He is, if you will, the diamond in the book of Genesis as far as being faithful to God's plan and God's will and God's purpose. He doesn't seem to waver. He's of high moral character. And this in spite of what happened to him in his life. And my purpose today is to show you some of the things that happened in his life. And why was it that he responded the way he did? You must respond to life. Even when you don't do anything, you are responding. When you respond to life and the way it falls out for you tells a great deal about you and it tells a great deal about the way you see things. Today I want to look at one verse from the life of Joseph. And it is found in chapter 50 verse 20. This verse is the summation of his life. It comes from his own mouth. And um, it occurs when his brothers have fallen down at his feet, begging for his mercy and that he would forgive them. But he goes on to say to them this, when they sold him into slavery, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to the accomplishment of what now is being done, the saving of many lives. Notice that verse again. It bears reading one more time. He said to his brothers, you intended all of those years ago to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of many lives, which included their lives and the life of his father. He saves his family. God does through him. It reminds me of the Proverbs, uh, chapter 16, verse 9, if you want a reference. A man's heart may plan his way. But the Lord makes his step firm. Unintended consequences in Joseph's life, however, involves a twist on this understanding of the Lord 
establishing your way after you plan it. What we see here is, is more in line with Romans 8, verse 28. And most of you can quote that verse by heart. And we know that in all things that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In Joseph's life, what you see is the sovereignty of God working itself out in his life. And if I have any desire in this sermon today, it is that you might appreciate God's sovereign will for your life and his purposes. We think sometimes we are in charge of everything and we do have what the confession says, a free will. We're able to do many things, not everything. You can't have a will that's different or contrary. Uh, you cannot will contrary to your nature. You can't be a bird and fly, but you can will human things. And we will many things, even about the future when we cannot see what's actually going to happen. We may buy a stock at one point thinking on the best evidence that we can gather that it's going to go up, but an unforeseen event happens and the bottom drops out of the stock. The same thing about many things in life. But in this case, what is unique about Joseph is that others are trying to do him harm and he suffers mightily for uh, the harm that is done to him. Real harm is done to this man in his life. And I'll flesh it out a little bit more later. Real harm is done to this man. And yet he never wavers in his commitment to God and his sovereign purposes in his life. Oh, that we would indeed love the power and wisdom of God as it operates in our world. Joseph was the son of Jacob and of his favorite wife, Rachel. And he was born in their old age, so he was precious. Oh, he was so precious. Precious in their eyes. His other brothers grew jealous of him because of this. Now, I don't pretend, and you shouldn't either, that the patriarch, patriarchal life and family life was uh, perfect. It was not. Jacob probably did create jealousy or help create jealousy in the heart of his other sons. And no doubt his mother doting upon him was the same thing. He was, he was one of those wonderful children. He was bright, smart as he could be. He was handsome all the way along. People who are good looking sometimes get favorable treatment in life. People who are smart get favorable treatment in life. And he was one of those. But his brothers, his brothers were eaten to death by this. They got so they couldn't stand the little rascal. He was such a goody two-shoes. And furthermore, he told on them. And one day his father, when he was 17 years of age, sent him out. And he had to go uh, many days journey to see where his brothers were grazing the flocks and give a report and come back. In other words, he was his father's spy. He comes back and um, supposed to come back and tell his father what they were doing. Well, they've had about enough of this guy, particularly since he had had a dream. 
He had a dream, two dreams as a matter of fact, and in both those dreams that he told his brothers and his father, he had his whole family bowing down to him as if he were something very important. Well, he had a dream, and he must have been one of those persons who just simply felt it was all right to account for things that he had thought in his life. Listen, you should not reveal every thought that you have in life about things. That's the better part of wisdom. But he went ahead and in his youth, he shared uh, this with his family. Even his father was taken back a bit. So they saw him coming. And they made a plan to kill him. But persuaded by one of the brothers, they didn't. And they eventually threw him in a pit, killed an animal, stained his wonderful, nice Uh, outer garment, his robe, and uh, took it back to the father, of course, and told him that he was killed and eaten by a wild beast. In the meanwhile, a caravan of slave traders came by, pulled him out of the pit, took him to Egypt, sold him to a master. And there he is in Egypt, 17 years of age, sold out by his brothers, his own flesh and blood. Now, uh, life doesn't look very good at this point in his life, would you say? Oh, surely then uh, he'll be made use and have some freedom. But no, Uh, the wife of his master, Joseph, is now growing into manhood and he becomes a very handsome man. And she sets her eyes upon him. And in the end, he rebuffs all of those attempts uh, of hers. And eventually, she accuses him of attacking her. And in the process, he is imprisoned. Well, while in prison, he meets a baker and a butler. They tell him his dreams. Now, Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams. I don't suggest that you do these things. But he had the ability to interpret dreams. And he interpreted both their dreams. Unfortunately for the baker, he must have done it. He was, uh, his dream indicated that he would be headed, and he was. The butler was set free and went back, and he told the butler, he says, when you go back, uh, tell them what I've done for you. The butler forgot it for four years. I mean, the baker for, butler forgot it for four years. But one day, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, had a dream. And he dreamed, and the dream's interpretation was, as we shall see, important to this whole story. None in his kingdom could interpret it, and so the butler now remembers, oh yes, I was in prison four years ago with a young man, and he could interpret dreams. Favor says, bring him to me. Joseph comes before him. And he interprets the dream. And in interpreting the dream, he tells him that there will be seven wonderful years of harvest in the land. And there will be seven lean years of drought and famine. And so Pharaoh, a wise man indeed, makes him in charge of everything, second to himself, 
to be able to plan and to guard against these things, and he does wonderfully. Now, let me say that Joseph started out in Egypt at 17 years of age. He is now 30. He has been in prison, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five years. He was in prison, my friend, for 13 years. Entirely innocent of everything. Now, you think you've been treated unjustly. And you may have. Lots of unjust things happen in our life. Sometimes it is done by people. Sometimes it is not. It is the circumstance of life. But there is, in one sense, no real justice in this world. I had a younger daughter who used to say all the time when things would go wrong, that's not fair. And guess what my response was on every occasion? Life is not fair. It is not fair. It certainly wasn't fair to Joseph. But here he is, second in command in Egypt. Here is this wonderful man. He's going to now be able to use all of his talents for the first time in his life. And he enriches Pharaoh, second to none. Eventually, his brothers have to come down from Canaan into Egypt to buy food. And you should read the account there. I'm not going to rehearse it all. But in the process, there is a process here whereby they actually come to buy food and he discovers and recognizes them as his brothers. And he devises a scheme after he hears that his father is still alive and that he has a younger brother that he's never met to get them down into Egypt. And he does so through a series of schemes of charging them of being spies and so forth. Well, eventually, they do get the younger brother, all the brothers, and the father, 70 in all, down in Egypt. Joseph reveals himself to them. He cries and weeps. He has no animosity toward them but he embraces them as brother, father, younger, younger brother. He falls and weeps and dotes on his younger brother. After his father dies, that's when this text takes place. The brothers know human nature enough to know, oh yes, Joseph has been good to us because our father was living and he did not want to disgrace him or to embarrass him or to hurt him or to injure him. He surely loved his father. But now that the father is going, he is going to get back at us. He's going to take vengeance. And that is when they come and fall down before him. Surely his dreams have come true, have they not? They are bowing down to him. For their lives' sake. Remember what has happened to him. He's been betrayed twice, so much so that he spends, again, 13 years of his life in prison. For no reason. Except of the animosity of his brothers, which started it all. But God saw in time and in his own providence to raise him up. And to put him in a position of authority. And what does this sterling and wonderful young man say to his brothers? You meant this for evil. 
But God means it for good, even to the saving of lives. My friend, what a noble character. He does not seek revenge. He rather pardons them and forgives them. He understands in the scheme of things that a higher purpose is being worked out in his life. He trusts the Lord. And God has established his way in his sovereignty. Let's take a look just briefly at some of the consequences that you should understand about this. He was sold into slavery. He was unjustly accused. Don't forget those things. That's the backdrop. And so Joseph's brothers now come to him and he tells them, you meant it for evil, but God for good, even to the saving of your own lives. Now, you can, you can misunderstand this kind of text pretty easily. You can, you can almost dismiss it. Well, God's in charge. Let me see what this text does not say in wrapping this up. No one ever should conclude from a text like this that you can do evil so good may come of it. That's not what this text means. Never think that you can do evil and in some ways you'll perpetrate some kind of good or that you can dismiss evil as not really being evil because God is sovereign and he's able to make something good out of it. No. Furthermore, I want you to notice what else you can't do with this text. You cannot excuse yourself when you injure another person because of this text. You, you can't just simply say, I know I injured them, but maybe something good will come out of it. Maybe a father injures a child in the family through his harsh words. He can't say, well, okay, that'll just be, that'll just be something where the good will come from it. Maybe I went a little overboard, but no. No, if you were cruel, you were cruel. You can't dismiss evil in general that happens in the world because God is sovereign. Listen, evil is a serious matter in our world. It happens every day. I, I am on a crusade in one sense to pray for persecuted Christians around the world. I think it's Newsweek that has... A story on this, a, a, a story in the mainstream media on the persecution of Christians around the world. I hope you can pick up a copy and read it. It is written by Hershey Ali, a woman who was persecuted uh, herself, not for being a Christian, but an important, important writer in today. And she's defending Christians when she's not a Christian. I hope you can read it. But we should never say, oh, well, there was a tornado. Something good will come out of it. You know, it may very well, but you should not say it. What if God decides not to bring good out of it? You should not say, oh, a volcano took place. Well, well, something good must surely is going to come out of this. No, my friend, evil is a threat to God's good creation, and there's nothing in the scriptures to indicate that is acceptable to a holy, good, and sovereign God. It opposes all that he has made. Evil is evil. And it invites God's judgment. But the truth is, 
Nothing that we can do, nothing in this world can finally thwart the purposes of God. And Joseph did not forget that truth. He knew that God's purposes would be established in and through his own life. And he has been given the grace and strength to do something that is marvelous and it's recorded in the scriptures. To forgive his brothers rather than seek vengeance. What you should take from this then is that um, this points to Christ, doesn't it? Look at this for a moment. This points to Christ. What did wicked and cruel hands do in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ? An innocent man. They took him and they slew, says the apostle, the Lord of glory. They meant to stuff his life out to get rid of him. But God raised him up on the third day and he saves more than a few lives. But his gospel is to be preached to the end of the earth. Joseph stands in some sense as a type of Christ. He's participating in a larger scheme of things that God is working out his salvation for your good and for our glory. That's what the sovereignty of God means. It also means, since God is sovereign in all of his ways, and I hope you read the second hymn again in its words, you should not fret about world events. You know, a lot of us, I can hear us around the coffee table and everything, we're fretting. We're fretting about a lot of things. Well, we should be concerned. There's no question about lots of things in life where there is injustice, where there is lack of wisdom, whatever. When our neighbor is not doing well, when some of our friends are out of work, when a child goes wrong, oh, my friend, uh, it's, it's, it's sad, but we should not fret. It should increase our trust in that one who is able to work out all things for his own glory and for our good. Let me say one other thing before I close. This is the kind of text that you should read about and never allow your perspective to be changed from heaven to earth. Now, let me tell you what I mean. We can get so wrapped up in the events of our lives. And they are important to everything that happens to us. Jesus indicates that they are important. What does he do in the gospel lesson? He heals the paralytic. What takes place in this world in Christian theology is always important, never to be dismissed. All you have to do is understand the difference between, in one sense, Christianity and Hinduism, where things in this life are always a result of karma and are never really that important. But in Christian theology, everything is important because we live and move and have our being before a holy God and he loves us and he's interested in our lives. But we should never get to the place where we are consumed by these events. To where we take our eye off of our eternal goal. And that is, finally, our home is not in this world but in heaven. 
when there will be a new earth and a new heaven to the glory of God. This should lead us to trust in God's saving purpose. Are you trusting the Lord in your life and his saving purposes? Have you come to the place where you say, Oh, Lord God, I have trusted you and you have redeemed me from the pit. And you have set my feet upon solid rock. I believe in you. I remember psychologically, I don't know that it was theologically, but psychologically when I came to faith. I hadn't been in church in years. I stumbled into a church, my dad's church, and uh, they happened to have an evangelist there, a Baptist evangelist, and he preached a sermon on what do you think of Christ? And I hadn't thought about that. My father and mother prayed for me, and I was out running around. And I don't know why I went to church. I got afraid to drive my car for some reason. You think the Holy Spirit was working in my heart? I went in and sat down in the middle of this, and he asked those series of rhetorical questions, what think ye of Christ? And all of a sudden, in the midst of that, I answered from my heart, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, my only Savior and Lord and hope in life. That's what Joseph had. And it changed him. Looking to, unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's where this story is to take us. To the saving of many lives, even yours. Amen.